Hello, and welcome to Select and Start, the podcast about meaningful and memorable video games. I'm your host, Kiefer, and every episode I bring on a guest who selects a game that made an impact on their life. Uh, but this episode will be different. At the end of my last episode, I said that I was planning on doing a bonus episode for my patrons, and it was going to be a sort of year in review for 2023. And then I started taking my notes on it, and then the notes kept getting longer and longer and longer and longer, it, I quickly realized this is like far too much work to just be limited to the Patreon. In fact, it's too limited to be one solo episode in and of itself. Um, it turns out I have a lot of thoughts on how 2023 went as a year. There, there are some positive thoughts in there, but there's a lot of negative ones too. It was hell of a year. 2023 has simultaneously been one of the best years for gaming. And it's also been one of the worst. It's self-evident why I said it's one of the best. It's been an incredible year for new releases. I can't imagine anyone getting away with saying it was a year that was lacking in quality releases. A lot of good shit came out. That's just undeniable. I've seen some people posit that it could be one of the most stacked years in terms of quality releases ever in the history of the medium. And that would certainly make for an interesting discussion, but that is not the discussion I'm interested in having. As I said, 2023 has also been one of the worst years in gaming. And I'm not measuring that in terms of bad or disappointing releases. I'm not talking about Redfall or Gollum or Skull Island Rise of Kong and the day before. I don't want to talk about them. Seriously, don't ask me to talk about these games. Please don't. When I say that 2023 has been one of the worst years in gaming, I'm talking about the ecosystem under which these games are developed, published, marketed, sold, and played. Uh, video games don't magically appear in our consoles. Countless decisions are made over the course of years that lead to the game appearing before us as consumers. And every decision that is made in that process has a consequence. It's fitting that this is the year of Baldur's Gate 3, a role-playing game built around player choice and the world reacting to that choice in shockingly deep and complex ways. But this isn't an episode about Baldur's Gate. I, I haven't played it yet. I'd love to. I'm waiting for a physical release first. I can't speak to the specific ways in which the choices you make in Baldur's Gate 3 have long-term impacts on the world around you. I'm more interested in talking about the real-world choices powerful people in the video game industry are making and those long-term impacts. And I struggled for a while when I was taking my notes for this to figure out a way to organize all of it. And then something happened. Uh, specifically, Jeff Keighley's 2023 The Game Awards. And through that, I was able to sort of find a place to funnel all of my thoughts about video games as a whole by finding a very, very easy target. There's been a lot of published critique about the Game Awards. As it gets bigger and more eyes are on it, it just finds more and more ways to frustrate and disappoint people from basically all sides. And I want to talk about that because I think it is a symptom of some of the worst aspects of the video game industry. But before I get into that, I sort of want to explain my plan for the show. Like I said, this, this, the, the things I wrote down were huge. And if I were to put everything that I wrote down into a single episode, it would be a massive undertaking. So here is the, uh, the structure uh, for the show for the next few weeks. So this started as a bonus episode for my Patreon. And it's actually going to become a little bit of an event for Select and Start. A two-week event, in fact. Part one is the episode that you're listening to now. 
and part two will come out a week from now. This is normally a show with bi-weekly releases. Special treat for y'all, you are getting weekly releases. This is partially because I have so much to say and also because I was supposed to release a bonus episode in December for my patrons. This is going to be a main feed episode now and I feel bad about the break and I want to make sure that I'm making up for the absence. And let me explain how this is broken down. Part one will be mostly my critiques of 2023 as a year in the video game industry. And then a week from now, I'm going to release my own version of the Game Awards, putting my money where my mouth is, or at least my effort. And I can't wait to share that with you. I have a lot of positive things to say about some incredible games that took an incredible amount of work. I don't want people to just think that I only have negative things to say about video games. My whole purpose of this show is talking about how important video games are to people. And I don't like (laughs) the idea that this industry is so rotten to the thing that I love so much. I love video games. I, I really, really, really love video games. But if you love something, you have to be honest with it. You cannot blindly delude yourself into believing that something is just totally devoid of issues when it is obvious that there are real consequences to how these things are released. And I'll get into that in a moment. Uh, This is definitely a different approach for the show. It's one of the motivating factors for me to divide it into two episodes. It'd be weird to be serious about something and then transition into a bunch of jokes for the second half. But it was important for me to get these thoughts out because I was, I was, as I was writing more and more of this, it became clear to me how passionate I am about these issues. And I didn't want to hide them. I didn't want to suppress them. So yeah, let's talk about <laughs> the Game Awards. Now, this isn't going to be a category by category breakdown of the 2023 Game Awards where I'm like, oh, this should have won. Uh, This should have been nominated instead. One, because there's plenty of other places where you can see things like that. Awards season discourse is its own beast. That's well-trodden territory. And that's not a criticism. By all means, if you want to do that, do that. But two, I didn't play a lot of new releases this year. I'll, I'll get into that later. I will say I played more Game of the Year nominees within the year than I normally do, but still I have a lot of blind spots. I cannot fairly judge what the nominees are uh, for every specific category. For the record, my issue with the Game Awards isn't the idea of awarding games, nor is it even the idea of pitting creative works against each other. That just feels like a compulsion of human behavior at this point. The question of who would win in a fight, going from questions about power scaling to quality scaling, you know, what's this year's Goku of games? I get that. We love championing works that mean a lot to us, and we also love to argue. I get that compulsion. I'm more interested in interrogating the structure and intentions of the Game Awards more than anything. Uh, Here's the first issue. Why the fuck are these awards in December? It makes no goddamn sense. As if my sense of falling behind and FOMO aren't bad enough. Call me neurotic, but I believe that the conversation about the best blank of the year should cover the period of January 1st to December 31st of that year. And this isn't strictly a Game Awards thing either. So many outlets do this shit. Uh, The Grammys do it and it drives me crazy. Their eligibility period is from like October of last year to September of this past year. What the fuck is that? Did you see what Pitchfork called their best album of 2023? SZA's SOS. Great album. One problem. 
It came out on December 9th, 2022. Oh gee, how did that happen? Because they released their best albums of 2022 on December 6th. That's how. Stop publishing your year end lists in December. Is this a product of people trying to be the first one out the door with their year end lists? Is this to be the loudest tastemaker in the room? Is it because like all forms of art are consumptive in some way and people want to drive up sales for whatever the most like zeitgeisty thing of the year is? So people got to get their Christmas shopping done by using end of the year list. There's, there's probably a lot of motivating factors. And this has already been a problem with the Game Awards in the past. Remember when Super Smash Bros. Ultimate came out six days before the 2018 awards? Long after the nominees were locked in. And they included it in the 2019 Game Awards. And look, it wasn't going to win that. Not because of the quality of 2019 releases necessarily. It just would have been weird. That was weird. It just would have felt like a consolation prize and not something that had a serious chance of winning. And this is like the least of the problems. I just think it should be an ethical standard to behave as if Frank Ocean could suddenly drop an album on December 31st. I think this is how all outlets should behave. And I know people broadly agree with me on this point. I'm not the lone voice of reason in the dark to say like a year should cover January 1st to December 31st. It's not news that the world is run by out-of-touch freaks. There's obvious motivators for decisions like this, and it comes back to marketing and money. I get that. And speaking of marketing, it's obvious to me that Jeff Keighley wants the Game Awards to be a sort of E3 replacement, or a sort of winter version to supplement his summer game fest that he also organized ever since E3 died of COVID. But what this year in particular showed was how ill-equipped it is for that. E3 wasn't perfect. I would be hard-pressed to even call it good. But something that E3 had going for it was how compartmentalized it was. Having separate conferences for Sony, Nintendo, Microsoft, and the bigger publishers without their own consoles made it easier for you to curate your experience. If you didn't have or want an Xbox, you could opt out of the Microsoft conference. If you generally don't enjoy Ubisoft games, you don't have to watch Aisha Tyler power through the conferences. And it was an event. It was drawn out over several days so you wouldn't be overwhelmed with announcements from so many different publishers at once. It was a public event uh, where people could go and attend these shows. It was a social event. It made a communal gaming experience. And Summer Game Fest is not that, and the Game Awards aren't that. It is an online experience where it feels isolating and alienating, like so many things are in our culture have become. But with E3, right, we had a week where everyone generally understood it to be the gaming week. It was very often a shit show, but it was an agreed upon shit show. But with the structure of the Game Awards, you are helpless. You are at their mercy. If I felt like it, I could make this into a metaphor for how algorithmically curated our consumption is and our agency in choosing our experiences is becoming more and more funneled. But you get the point. It's only a piece of a larger structural issue here. It's like we're binge watching commercials now because the Game Awards are kind of about awards. But what it really is, is a vector to show commercials for video games and not video games that came out in 2023. No, video games that are coming out in the future. It's, it's, it's a new vector through which we can announce the new shiny thing uh, while we're supposed to be celebrating the current shiny thing. It doesn't seem like there's any logical order to the way that they structure these commercials that they are showing to you about the various announcements that they're going to make. Whereas you would watch like an hour of Ubisoft announcements, an hour of Nintendo announcements, an hour of Sony announcements all separately 
uh, where you understood as the consumer, like, oh, this is going to be the PlayStation stuff. Oh, this is going to be the Xbox stuff here. It's just chaos. It's just like constant chaos in your face without like a sense of organization that makes sense. And maybe you disagree with this point entirely. I can see someone arguing that it exposes you to more games than someone who picks and chooses what conferences they watch. And to that, I say, you're wrong. Uh, the Game Awards was a three and a half hour long program that was advertised as an awards show and not a press conference at all. It is trying to do too much. The number of reveals and announcements in quick succession was simply overwhelming. It is not a good idea to do these kinds of trailers sequentially like this. And Keeley should know this because Summer Game Fest was staggered over multiple days until this most recent year. And that seems to be the central problem with the Game Awards. It is confused about what it wants to be. It knows that the trailers and announcements are a draw, so it leans heavily on that because the more time this has to be an award show, the more the cracks reveal themselves. Figure out what you do! You had all summer to think of it! To my earlier point about it doing too much, the Game Award relies so heavily on trailers because it is not confident in its own ability to be entertaining or worthwhile on its own. It doesn't respect itself. It doesn't respect the viewers because they believe that gamers need constant jingling keys to view an award show. And it doesn't respect the games or their developers because they're given a ridiculously small amount of time to accept their award and speak. The time issue is a self-inflicted problem. The award show is so long because you're padding it out with absurd filler and an overwhelming number of trailers. You can make the show shorter and give the recipients more time to speak if you plan to run a proper award show but the award aspect is entirely superficial. It is an incompetently thrown together front to launder in as much bullshit as possible to make the event and its organizers as prestigious as possible. If this was about the games, the recipients would be allowed to speak longer or to speak at all in many instances. How disrespectful is it to prompt people to wrap it up after less than a minute of talking while Anthony Mackie and Simu Liu are allowed to ramble interminably? The crowd work Anthony Mackie did was embarrassing. We don't get a speech for best score in music, but we had to be subjected to Simu Liu explaining how he tore his Achilles tendon. The Escapist published an article by Liam Nolan called The Biggest Problem at This Year's Game Awards Was Disrespecting the Winners. And in it, he timed that the winners spoke for 10 minutes and 52 seconds in total. In that same article, he reported that the average Academy Awards ceremony between 2010 and 2018 had about 30 minutes for speeches with an equivalent runtime. How are you being outdone by the Oscars? The thing that we made fun of for barely giving any time to speeches so it can do hack bits with presenters and Billy Crystal and Blackface. If you don't think the Game Awards are a glorified marketing event, look at one of the awards they give at this ceremony. Most Anticipated Game. An award for a game that isn't even out yet. Imagine if we did that at the Oscars, the most anticipated movie of 2024. Uh, for me, it's Dune 2, by the way. Things that also made this thing feel like a glorified marketing and PR event. Cyberpunk 2077 winning best ongoing game against games that are actual multiplayer games. Cyberpunk 2077 is a single player game, but since it released a story expansion and a series of patches that serve to fix a game that launched broken, it gets to be awarded best ongoing game and give a speech about it. I'm not saying with absolute certainty that this was planned, but it is an awful lot of convenient PR for a company that's desperate for it. CD Projekt Red laid off about 100 employees in 2023, by the way. One of the few trailers they showed that wasn't for something new or ongoing was a Starfield trailer that emphasized how many positive review scores it got. And that was a weird moment. 
uh, it felt very desperate, uh, especially since the general reception to Starfield has been lukewarm, to put it generously. I can't say with absolute certainty that this was the only 2023 game that they showed off during the entire event. It's just the one that sticks out the most to me because of how weird it is and because of how forward-looking everything else was about this event. It's just such a juxtaposition with almost everything else that we saw in the show that it just cannot help but stand out like a sore thumb. It's just a little dirty. It's still good. It's still good. It's just a little slimy. It's still good. It's still good. It's just a little airborne. It's still good. It's still good. It's good. I know. The Game Awards is a shallow institution. It doesn't celebrate video games or even the video game industry. To say it celebrates the video game industry would imply that it celebrates the people who actually make the goddamn games. It is a show that celebrates companies. It celebrates the institution, not the industry. It is Rob Lowe wearing an NFL hat at a football game. And the host, Jeff Keighley, knows what he's doing. Jeff Keighley has been covering video games longer than I've been alive. He objectively knows more about the video game industry and its conditions than I do. He is aware of the issues. There were protesters right outside of the awards show. He did not stumble into that building blindfolded. He's not a total fucking moron. We can have a serious discussion about his incompetence, but he's not ignorant. Keeley has a unique level of access to various studios because of goodwill he's accumulated over the years, and he is not trying to compromise that goodwill by being critical of the companies that give him that access. Keeley's made his name as a journalist and a personality, but he is fundamentally a marketer. And look, I got my degree in marketing too. Game recognizes game. Gamer recognizes gamer. Hello and welcome to Select and Start. I'm Pot, and today we're going to be talking about Kettle. Did you know? He's black. I am a spade calling a spade a spade. But buddy, he's Joe Dirt. Look, I am not going to psychoanalyze Jeff. I have a marketing degree, not a psychology degree. I'm not going to say that the Halo 4 Doritos and Mountain Dew room was his 9-11. I wanted to say that sentence out loud, but I can't say it with authority. I don't think it's disingenuous to say that he has marketing brain, and whatever love he has for video games is being overridden by that. I say that, but gamer brain and marketing brain intersect quite a bit. What gamers call min-maxing, business people call Six Sigma which is not just a 30 Rock joke and is a real-life term describing the methodology people in the business world use to improve quality by attempting to remove as many defects as possible. The problem is, business people are idiots and they do not understand what people value about things, merely that the thing is valuable. More on this point later. There's a symbiotic relationship in there too where marketing brain is constantly trying to feed the consumptive feedback loop that ensnares gamer brain. I don't want to get too deep into it, but there's definitely a reason why gaming is treated like content and a product more openly than film, TV, literature, and music are. Part of that is how new the medium is and how it came of age in a post-Reagan world where the advertising rules became much more loose and capitalism has rapidly commodified every facet of our existence at an unprecedented rate. But I digress. The point is, marketing brain is Gamer Brain's final boss. Jeff Keighley's gamer marketing brain certainly makes him a threat that we really have to reckon with long-term. His form of min-maxing Six Sigma is minimizing celebrating games and maximizing the value of games. By minimizing the actual award part of his show, he's trimming the perceived fat so that he can make his show more valuable by fitting in more trailers of upcoming games. 
this is what the gamers want, right? It's certainly what the publishers want. An award isn't as commercially valuable as hype. If Jeff rapidly announces the winners of a few awards, we can fit in a few more commercials for upcoming games. Why sit and appreciate what's already out? We need you to look forward to the next thing. It's fundamentally not treating games as an art form. It's being treated as a product. And to paraphrase the poet Method Man, they want to keep feeding you and feeding you and feeding you and feeding you. But for people like Jeff Keighley, who isn't a publisher, gaming isn't just a product. It's also an opportunity. Mainly an opportunity to build up their own image, surround themselves with important people, make themselves feel important. Nothing is more indicative of this than Jordan Peele and Hideo Kojima being on stage significantly longer than any awards recipient that night. I don't think in isolation it would be so bad, but the time given to everyone else was so paltry, it's transparently Keeley trying to be a star fucker. I love Kojima's work. Don't get me wrong, I am fascinated by the man. I would love to see him talk for as long as they would allow him. And I love Jordan Peele's work so much. Nope was my favorite film of 2022. But giving them eight minutes and telling people to wrap it up when they haven't even had a minute to speak makes it obvious what this event is actually about and what the priorities are. You want to let Kojima speak without limit? Awesome. But that can never come at the cost of trying to play off Eiji Aonuma when he's accepting award. His first language is in English, and he fucking directed The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Put some fucking respect on his name and respect his time. Let him filibuster the goddamn event. He has worked in this industry for over 30 years and helped pave the way for what Zelda has been for the past 25. Kojima didn't even have a game come out this year. They gave him and Peel eight minutes so Keeley could schmooze with some of the most revered people in their respective fields and make himself seem important by association. Eight minutes taken away from games of the past so that we could talk about a game that isn't out yet and probably won't be out for a long time. But this conversation about time is meaningless. And I don't mean that in the obnoxious existential time doesn't matter, man. We're just floating on a rock hurtling through space, man. Way. I mean that the conversation about time is pointless because this event was never about recognizing the work of people who have dedicated their lives to making the art that we love. The Game Awards is a commercial. Keeley is a marketer. He's a businessman. This is all a marketing opportunity. If the Game Awards was about celebrating the games of 2023, it wouldn't have spent so much time trying to get you to buy shit in 2024 and 2025. If this was about celebrating games, they would let people who spent the last half decade or more making a game speak for longer than a fucking minute. Baldur's Gate 3 won Game of the Year. Think about how long it took for Larian to develop a game that massive in scale and scope. They were the last award to win that night. Let them fucking talk. How are you going to claim this award has any meaning whatsoever if you rush the moment? 31 awards were given out at the Game Awards 2023, which, first of all, 31 is a prime number. That's weird. Of those 31 awards, here are the ones that had speeches. Super Mario Wonder for Best Family Game. Forza Motorsport for Innovation and Accessibility. Iron Mouse gave a pre-recorded message for winning Content Creator of the Year. Neil Newbon winning for Best Performance. Alan Wake 2 for Best Narrative. Cocoon for Best Debut Indie Game. Hi-Fi Rush for Best Audio Design. Chia for Games for Impact. Cyberpunk 2077 for Best Ongoing Game. HBO's The Last of Us for Best Adaptation. Tears of the Kingdom for Best Action Slash Adventure Game. 
Alan Wake 2 for Best Game Direction, and Baldur's Gate 3 for Game of the Year. Only 13 of the awards given out had speeches. 13, another prime number, gross. So that means less than half of the categories were deemed important enough to get speeches. The rest of the awards were given out like this. Best RPG, Baldur's Gate 3, Final Fantasy 16, Lies of P, Sea of Stars, and Starfield. And the Game Award goes to Baldur's Gate 3. Here are the nominees for Best Sim Strategy Game. Advance Wars 1 and 2 Reboot Camp, City Skylines 2, Company of Heroes 3, Fire Emblem Engage, and Pikmin 4. And the Game Award goes to Pikmin 4. Here are the nominees for Best Sports Racing Game. EA Sports FC 24, F1 23, Forza Motorsport, Hot Wheels Unleashed 2 Turbo Charge, and the Crew Motor Fest. And this year, the Game Award goes to Forza Motorsport. Congratulations, Turn 10. The nominees for Best Multiplayer this year are Baldur's Gate 3, Diablo 4, Party Animals, Street Fighter 6, and Super Mario Bros. Wonder. And the Game Award goes to Baldur's Gate 3. Having a pretty good night. Here are the nominees for our Player's Voice Award, 100% voted by the fans. Baldur's Gate 3, Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty, Genshin Impact, Marvel's Spider-Man 2, and The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. And the Game Award goes to Baldur's Gate 3. This was how the majority of the awards were given at the Game Awards. The Game Awards, the thing that is advertised as an event to award video games. This was a three and a half hour event. IGN posted a video of the actual act of announcing the nominees, the winner, and the speeches on YouTube, and it is only 36 minutes and 12 seconds long. Damning. Even by the standards of an award show. It's fucked. It is fucked. I don't necessarily expect every category to get a speech. Most award shows don't do that, though maybe they should if they consider it a category worth awarding in the first place. But things that you would expect to get speeches, like best score and music, best independent game, and so on, they don't get speeches. It's very, very strange what was given time and what wasn't, and choices like that are deliberate. So yeah, do these awards mean anything? I mean, that's a big question. Personally, I don't let the number of accolades something has affect how I perceive it. Jeff Keighley didn't invent the first bad award show. He just hosts a uniquely bad, transparently cynical one that undermines itself because the people who organize it cannot conceive of video games as important the way people who make them, analyze them, or critique them do. The Oscars have never been good, but at least it made themselves seem important culturally. What does it say about the Game Awards that it can't even do that without relying on advertising constantly and using celebrities from film and TV? How little do these organizers think of the medium? This award show is holding the medium back, if anything. It's hollow, vacuous, and meaningless. Take the Games for Impact category, for example. What does that mean? The Game Awards website says it's, quote, for a thought-provoking game with a pro-social message or meaning, unquote. Again, I ask, what the fuck does that mean? What is a pro-social meaning or message? That was an award given during the award show. They don't explain it any better during the live event. It's vague, video games are important, gobbledygook. It sounds important, it conveys a significance of some kind. Let's try and parse the meaning ourselves by looking at the nominees. 
Okay, all six nominees were developed by small game studios. Let's look at the first game. A Space for the Unbound. This was developed by the Indonesian-based Mujikin Studio and is set in the suburbs of Indonesia during the 90s, where two high school sweethearts gain powers from a book. The boy gets the power to enter people's minds and confront manifestations of people's traumas and anxieties, and the girl gets reality-warping powers. So it's a game that deals with mental health, trauma, and coming of age. The second game, Chance of Sinar, is from French studio Rundisk and is about the Tower of Babel, kind of. It's a video game where you attempt to decipher and interpret unknown languages through nonverbal communications and the actions of NPCs. Reading up on it, there also appears to be some stealth gameplay. Manu, if you're listening to this show, you would love this. Terra Nil from South African developer Free Lives is a game with city building mechanics, but it inverts the premise to be about ecological restoration and terraforming a barren wasteland. It's playing with an established formula and genre to communicate themes of environmentalism. Goodbye Volcano High from Canadian game studio Co-op, named so because it itself is a cooperative, was also nominated. This game is a coming-of-age story at a dinosaur school where high school seniors process the looming threat of an asteroid. I think it's a COVID-19 allegory, which makes sense to me because God told me the dinosaurs and COVID were made up. That was a joke. And Venba from Canada's Visayas Studios is about a South Indian mother who immigrated to Canada with her husband and young son. It uses the mechanics of a cooking video game as a way for Venba to connect with her Tamil culture in an unfamiliar environment and impart it to her son at an impressionable age while he's being raised in a different country from his parents. And the winner of this award was Chia from Canadian studio Awaseb. This was a game I talked about briefly in my Wind Waker episode because of how it uses mechanics from Zelda games like Wind Waker and Breath of the Wild to tell a story based on the culture and geography of New Caledonia. It is a game I'm super glad was awarded with something because it was not only a cute game, but it also inspired me to research New Caledonia, a Pacific nation still occupied by France to this day. This small game developed by a small studio winning an accolade at an event reportedly watched by over 100 million people should be considered a tremendous win. But that win feels hollow to me because Games for Impact feels like an award that gives a sense of this game is special, but doesn't clarify the what, why, and how. Oh, it's impactful. Cool. What is impact described as in this context? Why is it impactful? How is it impactful? And it's not like the people accepting the award had enough time to really represent what makes the game so special. Shuhei Yoshida from Sony Interactive Entertainment accepted the award on behalf of Awaseb and relayed a message from the developers that did thank the entire population of New Caledonia, which is nice. The speech was about 35 seconds in length. As I understand it, Yoshida is a champion of indie games, so on the surface, him accepting the award on their behalf makes sense, especially since on PlayStation, it was available for free if you were a PlayStation Plus extra subscriber. I'm not going to speculate and say that the developers of these smaller studios weren't invited. I don't know these things. But I do know that the moment felt very empty and corporate when it should have felt victorious and meaningful. It was unable to convey anything about how or why this game, Chia, was impactful. And while we're shitting on specific categories, let's talk about Best Independent Game. Let me give genuine congratulations to Sabotage Studios for winning Best Independent Game for Sea of Stars. That's a game I'm certainly planning on playing. It's downloaded on my PlayStation 5 now. That is awesome. I wish you guys were allowed to say anything at this award show at all. Unfortunately, we needed Fortnite trailers. But that's not the thing that bugs me about Best Independent Game, no. It's not the winner 
It's not the fact that they didn't give the speech. It's one of the nominees. Dave the Diver. I'm not shitting on Dave the Diver. I want to play this game. But it is not an indie game. It was developed by Mint Rocket, a subsidiary of Nexon Company Limited, a company that employs over 7,000 people. It was never marketed as an indie game. People just feel comfortable calling it that because it has a pixel art style people commonly associate with indie games. In a sick way, maybe calling Dave the Diver an indie game is the kind of thing that validates video games as an art form because people make that mistake all the time with film and music. In all three cases, indie is more a vibe than an actual objective truth about the conditions under which something was made. Dave the Diver is as indie as the strokes are, which is to say, they aren't, but they deliberately evoke a specific style that can be easily mistaken as such. It's become a convenient shorthand more so than an accurate one. At the end of the day, it's about aesthetics. And it's about aesthetics of Jeff Keighley too. He defended the choice on a Twitch stream in the days leading up to the awards show. To him, it's a broad term that means different things to different people. And what better word can we use to describe the game awards than aesthetic? They care a lot about the appearance of something, and they know that the appearance is important, but there is no work to put any meaning or value behind it. It, in this case, referring to the game awards, not Dave the Diver. Dave the Diver is innocent as far as I'm concerned. Jeff Keighley really wants the game awards to feel important, but he doesn't get it. The Timothy Chalamet modded controller 360 joke was cute. I get it. I like Chalamet as an actor. Dune's my shit, but come on, this isn't a good use of him. Anthony Mackie is in the Twisted Metal show, and I guess Simu Liu did that one voice in the game, but let's face it, man, this is tourism to them. And they're eating away at the time that the award show transparently never wanted to give to people who devote so much of their lives to making video games. And I get the appeal of celebrity presenters. They're basically marketing tools themselves. It's a shorthand for, this is important because they're here. What Jamie Lee Curtis does for yogurt is what Anthony Mackie is supposed to be doing for video games, I guess. The medium is the message, and the medium is Timothy Chalamet. Sure, whatever. And I will say this, Gonzo at the Game Awards, perfectly fine with me. Genuinely, he's one of my favorite Muppets. It's not like the Muppets are busy. I'll take the Muppets where I can get them. Let them all host the Game Awards. It would be infinitely more charming. Let Miss Piggy make jokes about selling her bathwater. Jeff Keighley would never let Statler and Waldorf at the awards show because he's a coward. Argue with me about it. I'm very serious about the Muppets. I watched the Muppet Christmas Carol twice last year. Do you know what the most delightful bit of the Game Awards was? The Alan Wake 2 musical number. They used the stage to dedicate themselves fully to an old Gods of Asgard stage performance of Herald of Darkness from Alan Wake 2. The actor who provides Alan Wake's likeness was dancing on the stage. His voice actor was on the side, but visible, participating. Sam Lake, the game's co-director, the public face of Remedy Entertainment, smiling radiantly as he danced on stage with everybody. Out of context, it is the most corny, goofy, alienating thing. If you are unfamiliar with Alan Wake 2 or didn't play it, you wouldn't get it. But knowing anything about Alan Wake, Remedy, and Sam Lake's passion 
sacrifice, and commitment to getting a second game made over the last decade, this moment is a triumph. The potential of what the Game Awards could be is here in these moments. It's silly. It is also one of the few times I felt a genuine emotion and didn't feel cynical about the whole enterprise. They could have been doing this the whole time, but they didn't. I also really loved Sam Lake's speech as he accepted the award for Best Narrative. He spent so much of his time thanking the people who got him there. It was sweet. I share this with the whole narrative team, the writers, uh, Clay, Tyler, Sinica, narrative designers who made the story into gameplay, Simone, Molly, the whole narrative team, uh, directors working with actors, Ansi, uh, Hannah, Rosie, Holly, uh, all the wonderful actors here tonight, some of them, Melanie, uh, Ilka, uh, uh, Matt and David, but the whole, whole cast, wonderful actors, and, and the song makers who made custom music, custom songs to extend the story. Here tonight, later, Poets of the Fallers, Old Gods of Asgard, Poe, uh, This Road, every song maker coming through Fright Music uh, for our chapter songs. Thank you. Uh, we wanted to push things further, to do something new, and it's always a risk for you to embrace it and understand it. it means so much. I'll treasure this always. Thank you. I also wanted to include this section from the speech Sam Lake gave as he and his co-director Kyle Rowley accepted the award for Best Game Direction. Direction is nothing without a team actually build it and and huge thanks to remedy team for joining us on this venture wanting to believe believing it and 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 build it uh, you know we can pull into different directions and and nothing comes out of it but when more than 100 people uh believing the same vision and and build something out of it, we can make miracles, we can make art, and we can be more than the sum of our parts. Uh, our world today could use a bit more of that. In that moment, you can really see how much it meant to him to feel recognized for his dedication to the craft, to remedy, to creating art. I can't know what's in that man's heart. I don't know Sam Lake from Adam, but it seemed really cathartic in the moment. And it should feel like this all the time. And maybe that's the argument for the awards show. Even if it isn't necessarily made with the best intentions, it gives us moments like that. And it is an award that means something to the people who receive it. But no, this is a very cynical enterprise. And I think it could be so much better and create so many more moments like this instead of making it the exception. You know where there's incredible talent that you can use for presenters at your show that's supposed to celebrate video games? Video game performers doesn't have to be A-listers. People value these performances. Yuri Lowenthal has over 20 years of voice acting under his belt, and people really hold on to his performance of Spider-Man to the extent that he's many people's favorite Spider-Man. Use that. Nearly everyone involved in Critical Role is a notable voice actor. Use that. Critical Role is a goddamn enterprise. You think people won't show up for people like Matt Mercer, Ashley Johnson, Laura Bailey, Travis Willingham, and so on? People want things like this. Do you know why voice actors end up doing things like podcasts and Twitch streams and tabletop shows and conventions? 
it's often because they literally do not get paid enough as a voice actor. I'm not saying this is the case for every instance, but in the vast majority of cases, it is an undervalued and underpaid profession. I've worked with voice actors at conventions before, and audiences really, really, really like these folks. They really value it. The industry doesn't. And something like this would not just be a paid opportunity and something that would raise their profiles. It would show the work of people who work on these games in some capacity. It would show some kind of solidarity for the work that goes into it. Neil Newbon, uh, Asterian, he nearly quit acting before he got that role. If you know any artists in real life, you know that there are so many undervalued and underappreciated artists out there. People who never became popular, people who couldn't make it, people who are struggling every day to make it if they make it their full-time job, or people who just simply cannot afford to make it their full-time job or explore their potential because they have to work to live. The Game Awards should be working in tandem with the laborers of the industry if it wants to show it's even a little bit serious. God, do you know who really would have killed this shit? Lance Reddick. I know he was mainly a film and TV actor, but he's exactly the kind of actor that would have worked for this. He was in multiple high-profile video games. He was in Horizon. He was in Destiny. He was in Quantum Break. He walked both worlds. He had a presence. God rest his soul, man. I miss him. If you were to use a screen actor, that would have been the kind of guy you should have gotten. But at the end of the day, it's aesthetics. Jeff Keighley doesn't want to use his platform to elevate gaming. He wants to elevate the image of Jeff Keighley and the Game Awards. It's not about the industry. It's about celebrating the people at the very top and hoping you get to ascend to their level. It's the wrong kind of reverence that creates the divide and the illusion of greatness for a specific few. It's enterprises like this that use the little guys as stepping stones so that they can ride the coattails of more successful people. It's diminishing the work of others and making yourself a giant while standing on their backs. It's fucking gross. Which brings me to the last award I want to highlight. Best Adaptation. Jesus fucking Christ, do I have some words. What you're about to hear is probably the meanest I've ever gotten on the show, but this guy's a deserving target. Who embodies the spirit of riding the coattails of success better than Neil fucking Druckmann, you fucking piece of shit? How fucking dare you put this person on stage? Yeah, I understand that he won an award for best adaptation for a television series based off of a video game, but how fucking dare you? After everything that this guy has done, to the video game industry, not for, to, because this guy is the kind of person who has muscled out talent that has been there longer than him at his company and has taken the credit of people more talented than him and has helped enable a fucking horrific workplace culture at Naughty Dog during his time there. What a fucking piece of shit. What about this man makes you think I want to look at him? This man who has hurt people's lives for his own enrichment. And we are celebrating him and his work while people outside are protesting the, the conditions of the video game industry that he has helped foster. Neil Druckmann, the guy who didn't give any credit to Bruce Straley for co-creating The Last of Us when it was made into a TV show, fucking typical of a Zionist to enter someone else's home and call it theirs. How fucking embarrassing. Let's move past the optics of awarding an Israeli posting weird shit on Twitter and Instagram during a genocide that Israel is perpetuating against the Palestinian people. Let's move past that for just a little bit. But no, let's not move past that for a second because what a fucking infuriating thing. Fucking free Palestine. Fucking get Neil Druckmann out of the video game industry. He does not deserve the, the success that he has, point blank. 
the man who has resisted unionization in the video game space, entering the television space specifically with an anti-union piece of shit, Craig Mazin, for the adaptation of The Last of Us TV series. That's the guy that we're going to award at the Game Awards. While a genocide is happening, we are awarding a Zionist. I don't expect an award show, much less a game award show, to meaningfully address the genocide presently happening in Palestine. But you put a guy who has publicly posted support for Israel and has done so much harm to the video game industry while people outside are protesting the working conditions in the video game industry, protesting the layoffs happening there. Layoffs that happened at Naughty Dog this year, for the record. I cannot think of a man who presently embodies all of the horrible traits of the video game industry more than Neil Druckmann. While an unprecedented number of layoffs are happening and people are protesting outside of the game awards, let's award a man who has contributed to those layoffs this year and has contributed to the terrible working conditions in the video game industry. Let's award that. Congratulations, Neil Druckmann. I hope it was fucking worth it. On November 20th, 2023, the LA Times published an article by Sarah Parvini with the headline, The Video Game Industry Boomed During the Pandemic. Now thousands are being laid off. In it, she reports that roughly 6,500 video game workers worldwide were laid off in 2023, and this may be a lowball estimate. If you visit the URL that I've included in the description of this episode, publish.obsidian.md slash vg-layoffs, which has cited sources for its totals, it estimates 2023 layoffs at around 10,500. And I wanted to read some of the layoffs it tracked in the year of 2023. I won't go down the entire list, though I encourage you to. I just want to read some stuff that especially stood out to me. San Francisco-based company Unity Technologies, most widely known for their game engine Unity, laid off over 1,100 employees in 2023. On January 8th of 2024, Unity laid off 25% of its workforce, or around 1,800 jobs. North Carolina-based Epic Games, known for multiple game franchises, including the massively successful Fortnite, and for their proprietary game engine software Unreal Engine, laid off 830 employees, 16% of their company, in September of 2023. ByteDance announced that they were retreating from the gaming space and are restructuring their games publishing division Newverse, known for publishing Marvel Snap. This resulted in the cutting of around 1,000 jobs. Amazon laid off over 700 employees between their game studios and Twitch. Swedish-based video game and media holding company Embracer Group is in the process of a large-scale company restructure that has resulted in devastating losses for the video game industry, stuff that will reverberate for years to come. More than a dozen video game companies were affected, and three of these companies were closed entirely. Campfire Cabal, closed less than a year after it was established. Volition, known for Saints Row and Red Faction, were shuttered on the year they celebrated their 30th anniversary. 183 jobs gone. Free Radical Design, known for Time Splitters in the Crisis series, originally closed in 2014, was revived in 2021 with an announcement of a new Time Splitters game, and then was shut down again in December of 2023. This resulted in a layoff of about 80 employees. The number of layoffs in the video game industry under Embracer Group are estimated to be around 962 in this report. Some other big company layoffs, again, not all of them. Electronic Arts, or EA, announced layoffs for 6% of their staff in March of 2023. That's nearly 800 employees. There were layoffs at multiple Ubisoft studios and at multiple Sony game studios as well, 
Notably, around 100 employees were laid off at Bungie in October. This was just over a year after Sony acquired Bungie in the first place. These massive companies are acquiring smaller companies, and then when they are underperforming their massive metrics because they are bigger companies with higher standards, they are punishing them for it. Acquisitions are where so many studios go to die. Sega-owned companies Rovio Montreal, Relic Games, and Creative Assembly experienced layoffs this year. And let's talk about Sega for a second. In July, Sega employees voted to form a union, Allied Employees Guild Improving Sega, abbreviated as Aegis CWA. This was huge. However, in November of 2023, Sega delivered a proposal directly to their employees in a mandatory meeting that proposed a phasing out of all temporary employees by February of 2024. The Aegis CWA union has submitted an unfair practices complaint, and it's understandable why. This can be seen as retaliation, as it would affect 40% of their unionized employees. This is about 80 out of over 200 people in the union. Most unionized employees in the gaming industry are in quality assurance, and Sega is specifically targeting QA and localization in these layoffs. The complaint the union submitted is accusing Sega of bypassing the union bargaining process, instead forcing their employees into a meeting where they announce their intention to offshore their jobs. It's difficult to interpret these actions as anything other than bad faith, and I hope that Sega does not get their way. Solidarity to Aegis CWA. Aegis CWA is the exception in the video game industry. There aren't a lot of unions in the video game industry. Unionization is very, very new. We need to support them vocally whenever we can, and we need to demand better conditions across the board for all people who work in the video game industry, 10,500. And this number is just including development and related studio jobs. 2023 layoffs in the broader tech industry are in the tens of thousands, and this number does not include people who work on the media side of the video game industry. Despite video games being more popular than they've ever been, there are fewer opportunities to write about video games. Private equity firms atomizing and homogenizing the internet can be thanked for that. There is no respect for labor. There is no respect for workers. Video games are a growth industry. Video game companies are broadly making more money, but the workers who made them successful are not reaping the benefits of that success. If anything, they're suffering for it. It is unfair and it is wrong. Working is a humiliating experience because it is more obvious than ever that companies do not value or respect their employees. Unemployment is even more humiliating. Have you ever looked for a job while you were unemployed? It's awful. You will send what feels like hundreds of applications to supposedly open positions and never hear anything back. Hiring managers will drag their feet and waste your time while you worry for your livelihood. Thousands of people had to suffer that humiliation for the crime of making their employers rich. That is infuriating. Even more infuriating is how this is happening in nearly every single industry. And look, it can be a fucking dork who thinks that being an economist matters or that a business degree is real and try and pragmatically explain that the layoffs are a consequence of rising interest rates on loans taken out by businesses to pay for labor and assets. But these companies aren't just making profits. They're often making record profits. This isn't about minimizing financial risk. It's about maximizing financial gain. Layoffs are ruinous to laborers, but they are very lucrative for shareholders who want to extract as much capital as they can from the work of others. It is an unfair system. 
your company can make a widely acclaimed, highly awarded product and people will be punished for it. This is unsustainable and it has and will continue to have material consequences that not only affect people's livelihood in the short term, but in the long term as well. There is less and less upward mobility in an industry that constantly lays off staff. No matter how impressive your work resume is, no matter how talented you are, if you are a developer who is constantly forced to work at different companies as a result of layoffs, you aren't staying in any place long enough to qualify for promotions. If there ever was a meritocracy in these studios, and there very likely wasn't, it is now officially dead. What incentive is there for an employee to work shit hours for shit pay if the promise of a better future is also shit? Jeff Keighley wanted the Game Awards to be the Oscars, and he made it the Super Bowl. It is a vapid, consumerist cesspit that understands the importance of the thing and exploits it. What should be a celebration, a finale to the work of the past year, is reduced to a vessel for advertisements. And holy fucking shit, the advertisements. Did I not mention that this was all streamed on Twitch? It was streamed on the internet. This wasn't a cable event. All of these advertisements were part of the event. It is a testament to how far the internet has fallen and how its value and potential has been exploited that it has fallen prey to the same problems that played television before it. The glut of advertisements haven't disappeared. They've just transformed. What a fucking bleak world we live in. I apologize for uh, how dark uh, this all is. I know that it isn't pleasant to talk about this stuff, but it's important that we talk about it because it's not just people like Neil Druckmann making bad decisions. He is certainly one of the most public-facing assholes we've ever seen, but there are countless fucking assholes making the video game industry a terrible, terrible place to work under and a terrible place to make art in. Let's take, for example, Bobby Kotick, who is basically the evil of the video games industry personified. He ran Activision Blizzard, which has attracted multiple controversies, chief among them being the sexual harassment and misconduct allegations that led to a lawsuit against the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing, which has now been dropped after paying a $54 million settlement two weeks before Bobby Kotick stepped down as CEO at the end of 2023. I'm not going to mince words with you. This man won. He got away with it. Microsoft got away with acquiring his business. He settled the major lawsuit that was a pox upon the image of the company, attracted years of controversy for this company. This was one of his last acts in service of this company. And he gets to walk away from this company, head held high without disgrace. This guy isn't going away. He's going to come back someplace, somewhere. And there's no good that we can extract from any of this news. It's fucking bleak. I hate this. I truly, truly hate reading things like this. And look, I've used Jeff Keighley as a punching bag all episode. I don't know him as a person. I just know him for what he represents. He's an opportunist making savvy moves to elevate himself in the industry. He's the symptom of a problem. He's not the cause of it. If it wasn't Jeff, it'd be someone else. But the fact of the matter is, it is Jeff. He has this unique access to the gaming industry. He has this incredible platform. And this is how he uses it. I understand that the access he has is because he's so willing to work for the machine, to be in service of it. I get that. I understand that if he were to rage against this machine, it would compromise his access. But at the end of the day, he's built up this platform and he chooses to enable the issues endemic to the industry that he claims to love. 
the industry that made him into what he is today. And I'm not impressed with who he is. I think Jeff Keighley is a coward. So if I seem hard on him, it's because I want the world to be better and I see the ways he could aid in that. I don't think I'm being unfair in my assessment of him. If he wants to be in the spotlight, he needs to take the heat that comes with it. I love video games. I I truly, I truly, truly do. But these things come at like an unimaginable cost that is completely avoidable. It doesn't have to be this way, but a lot of people are invested in keeping it this way and even making it worse. Like I said, video games are a growth industry. It's only getting more and more popular. It's a lucrative business. There's a lot of opportunities to make money. I understand this is a capitalism issue. We can't means test our way out of a broken video game industry, but what I'm seeing is troubling. I think it's very evident that the concerns that people are raising, protesting over, are not only valid in the the toll it is currently taking, but the toll that it will continue to take. I think as video games grow, it is in a decline, and it is one of the ways in which a lot of suffering is happening, and I am having a lot of difficulty reconciling that because it is one of my favorite things in the world. There are so many good video games that came out this year, and I'm going to talk about them in the next episode. Some truly imaginative stuff that um, takes a lot of effort and is consistently blowing me away. And you know what I think is possible is constantly being challenged in this medium, and there's so much potential, and it's just being squandered. It's being squandered because, because a lot of powerful people are comfortable with the idea of inflicting suffering. Um, yeah. In conclusion, video games are a land of contrasts. It's clearly not just you know the game awards. It's all of it. The game awards is rotten fruit that has been grown from a tree that's just corrupted at its roots. We need a new garden. We need to cultivate something sustainable. We need to cultivate something with love, not with tyranny, not with the fear of losing a job. We need something that considers the human factor in all of it, the world, the global impact of it. It's a lot. Uh, I know it's a lot, but I appreciate you listening. Um, I hope anything of what I said has resonated with you. This stuff means a lot to me, and if you're listening to this show, it probably means a lot to you too. So I hope you've internalized this. I know it's been angry. I'm not usually an angry person, but it's difficult to not be angry, and it's not unjustified anger to me. I think it is anger on behalf of the vulnerable, anger on behalf of people who are underserved and are desperately in need of a voice. And these things are not going to get better on their own. There's nothing to suggest these things are on the mend. Something needs to be done. And the video game industry needs to change. And we need to listen to the voices of the exploited in order to make this thing better. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I don't know if enjoyed is the right word, but I hope you got something out of this episode. The next episode is not going to be so much of a bummer. It's going to be a lot more light. Next week, I'm going to be doing my own Game Awards. I'm going to be putting my money where my mouth is and showing Jeff Keighley how it's done, celebrating video games. (laughs) 
the first annual Select and Start Correct and Smart Game Awards. But until then, thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for helping Select and Start to enter its third year. That's incredible. I've never done a creative endeavor like this for as long as I've done this. And it's possible because there is an audience to listen to me. So thank you for listening to this episode of Select and Start. Once again, I'm your host, editor, and promoter Kiefer. And if you enjoyed this episode, uh, please give the show a positive review wherever you're listening to this. Engagement helps the show, and your feedback will improve it. And if you want to get more engaged, give the show a follow on Twitter at SelectPodStart. If you have thoughts about anything I've said in this episode, uh, send a DM or leave a comment. Uh, I would be so happy to read it. You can also support me on Patreon. If you pledge at least $1 a month, you'll get early access to new episodes as well as extended episodes with exclusive content. You'll also get part three of uh, this little special I'm doing. Uh, That's going to be exclusive on Patreon. Uh, The third part will be my assessment of the best of the rest of 2023, television, film, music, my other passions. So uh, subscribe to my Patreon. That's on patreon.com slash Kiefer's Corner. You can find the link to that and the rest of my projects in the description of this episode. Select and Start is on the Moonshot Network, uh, which is supported by its own Patreon. Find out more on moonshotpods.com. The art for the show is made by my best friend, Avery Ott. You can follow him on social media with the handle at AveryRobinOtt. That's A-V-R-Y, Robin O-T-T. The show's theme song was composed by Mike Petrie. You can check out the links in the description for his work as well. All right, I think that's it. See you next episode. Uh, Venba from Canada, <laughs> from Canada.